You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. The Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network is brought to you by Onyx Hunt. Bringing you the best GPS mapping software directly to your smartphone or desktop, Onyx offers you the ability to see property boundaries, mark waypoints, track your location, and so much more. Visit onyxmaps.com or you can download it directly from your app store today. Save 20% off of your purchase by using the code NATION20 at checkout. That's capital N NATION followed by the number 20. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith and Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. Welcome, guys, to another Land and Legacy podcast. It's March, man. Oh, for sure. It's How did we get here? How? And, and spring is happening very fast this year. Um, I, for you guys up north, we're sorry. Um, it's coming, <laughs> we promise. Yeah. But yeah, for everybody down south and here in the Midwest, the Mid-Atlantic, like I was driving down the road tonight or this evening, and uh, I noticed this, I'm not even sure because we were going by, but yeah. there was some tree right over here in, in between my house and your house that yeah. was already putting on little blooms. No kidding. I'm like, wow. I looked, I was like, are you kidding me? My yeah. wife goes, well, it's March. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know if you understand the significance yes. of this. Because yes. March 8th, the last two years, it's it still would have been very cold. Very, very cold. Very much winter. And so it's it's very unique. But it's coming down to the wire uh, when it comes to, wow, we've got spring just around the corner. This means this year we're we're transitioning a little bit potentially into some different management techniques earlier than what a lot of people are probably used to. Yeah, and Not shutting down. Yes, and uh, shutting down other some things. other techniques. Absolutely, they are. Um, so it's a kind of this weird, unique transition, um, but one we all need to be taking note of and enjoying being outside. I was outside, I guess, the last two days in Kansas. Spent some time. Um, besides the wind temperature just gorgeous like in in the this past week's been incredible up here 50s and 60s so it's like wow i i kind of like this i like winter but really i'm not complaining about the temperatures here um that we've been having so definitely excited yeah. about that so basically if you're doing hack and squirt 
even even cutting oaks it's not a great time to be continuing that from you know mid-missouri northern kentucky south mm-hmm. um even west virginia over in there anything below that line time to halt all your timber management um just for the time being and, and start working on trying to finish up your prescribed fire uh cool season grasses trying to control some of your turf grasses that are which is that transition now they're starting to grow really really good yeah so you guys up north try to hammer out the last little bit with of your timber stuff uh, because it's coming very quickly yeah definitely oh man so with that too though it's a good time to do a little stratton seed absolutely a lot of orders coming through um our website a lot of a lot lot of people sending in yeah, a lot of people calling, a lot of emails, a lot of social media messages, people trying to prepare and get ready for planting season this spring. Um, with that being said, it's it's a great time to think uh, one of our partners who makes this podcast possible, and that is Stratton Seed Company. Um, you know, we've been working with them several years. we got a lot of seed. Uh, we helped develop some, several seed blends. Excited to get some more seed in the ground this spring. Um, it seems like there's a lot more people. There's a lot of buzz around the word Stratton Seed right now. Which yes, is cool. there is. It's cool, cool to see them grow and take off um, by having a good product and treating people right. So, For and sure. a good product priced really, really well, too. That's, I don't know if it can be beat or matched. And that's um, one of the big reasons why we work with them. Great absolutely. product, great pricing. Dude, we might... We might clarify some things today on the podcast I'm i sure saying. hope so <laughs> i sure hope so it's kind of one of those that i don't think people this is the first podcast we've set down we did one more that hasn't released yet but this is the oh, first yeah. podcast we've set down just you and i in a Since month february maybe 12th some yeah and so nwtf when we knocked out a bunch yeah and so this is kind of getting back to it but this is one of those that you may want to flag Mark, remind yourself to listen to uh, at the end of your hot part of deer season next fall as you yeah. get ready to move into timber management habitat improvement during that dormant season because this podcast will hopefully clear up an absolute pile of questions that we get, an absolute pile of Confusion. comments we see, Um there's misunderstandings confusions fears miss uh not knowing what the future is going to hold with these things like we short-term management plans yeah we want to paint a one track mind management plans (laughs) a very clear picture of of why you need to be working in the timber like why you need to address those and how and exactly and how and if you use this technique what is it going to look like because Adam, how many how many properties have you been to here? Just let's just say since January recently that were dominated, like the dominated uh, portion of the acres were timber. Ugh. it's definitely over seventy five percent. Yeah, I would yeah. I would definitely agree. Eighty ish percent is most is most people timber. would find that. I think this would be true that if it is open. There's a very small acres in the United States that is open acres that are devoted to recreational land. Yeah. Usually they're devoted to crops, cattle, land use, of, something, of making a dollar. Yeah. But, uh, here's a, here's a simple question though. Let's pose this to everyone listening. 
if you were a recreational landowner and let's just say you bought a property and you had 100 acres, 80 of it were open and the other guy next to you, or you had the option of, of buying 80 acres that was, I mean, excuse me, 100 acres that was timber, um, dominate, you know, dominated by timber, would you, would you take that open acres and only like manage the the 20 acres of timber like would you would you completely forget about the open 80, 80 acres but like it, it seems as if people take the open acres on their timber ground and only focus on that but let's flip that and do the inverse like if you had 80 acres of open ground on on your 100 acres that you just purchased would you leave all of it alone like would you not do anything because that's essentially what's happening for most property oh, owners okay i get what you're saying you know, yeah yeah yeah, on, yeah, on, yeah. it's like a horrible job explain that it basically but. is whatever ratio of open acres to timber acres timber acres are always not always i shouldn't say that but most of the time they're almost always neglected as if okay i got my timber that's where the wildlife go that's that's good now let's manage these open acres yeah but like and, if you had that same ratio of open acres would you just not manage those two yeah like what's what's the hang up? What's well, the deal? I think we could be honest and say that regardless of most of the acres we tour, whether they're open or timbered, all of them need better management for the most part. Well, but I will say that timber seems to be the growing trend of the most neglected acres, regardless of what state we're in, they're always the most neglected. Yes. And um, what even if it's pine plantation, which is highly managed, but it's managed at a much longer scale than our short-term food plots, disking, mm-hmm. whatever, um, old field management. Now, I think there's a reason this podcast is coming, um, and we're kind of on the tail end of it. And there's probably a reason because we just endured months of bad information. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so we're trying to clear the air, yeah. if you will, and try to clear up some stuff on really what what we're seeing and how we should be trying to get just a little bit further in our education. Yeah. Um, is the simple fact that the timber management, so we've already established that there's a whole bunch of timber across the country that's recreational ground, devoted to white-tailed deer, devoted to wildlife, that's not being managed. Correct. But some of the work that people are diving into the timber they're trying to focus on one thing or doing it some certain way that is like ah, you're just you're you're missing the boat just enough like mm-hmm. i'm pumped that you're going into the timber but ah you could do yeah. so much more it, if you knew exactly what you were it's getting like, yourself into it's like going from like sitting on the bench uh, you you've played the whole season and you've sat on the bench and then you get in the game and you're like afraid to take a shot, right? You're not going to score. Yeah. You're not going to. You're not going to win the game. Well, some if people, you're not doing it right. Some of the management I'm seeing, they're shooting in the wrong end. <laughs> they're scoring for the other team. <laughs> oh, dang it! Well, yeah. but and and the whole point of the podcast is we're not at all in any way, shape, or form pointing fingers, calling anybody out. The point of the podcast is to simply educate people on what's going to happen, how these different techniques result in different things on the landscape and if you have this goal then you need to do this technique and apply it in in, at this intensity if you try and go and do it at at a let's say a half portion you're not going to get the response that you want 
Like you can't go in and say, "Oh, well, I I know I was I'm I'm supposed to be doing it at like um a clear cut, but I'm going to cut 50% of the trees." Yeah. That's not that's not going to get you that result that you really truly want. Like now, you can't exactly, but this is like pre-show, I guess the conversation we had today at lunch was un- the unfortunate side of that is that timber is so neglected across the country. If you could pull out and say, you know, 70%, 80%, I don't know the number. I don't know if anybody knows the number, but God is how much of this timber is neglected in closed canopy and almost no understory. Yeah. Um, it's a, a large ton. majority. So when they do that 50% and they try to improve it and they don't, and they miss the boat, if you will, they still get enough of a reaction or enough of a regeneration that they think, wow, that was incredible. Look mm-hmm. at what, but once you, you don't know what you don't know. Exactly. And you don't if, know how good that response can be. Yeah. And if you don't know how great it can be, you may be stuck thinking that what you did was incredible when yeah. in reality you could have so much more. You could have doubled the impact. It's like yeah. it's like getting a going into a test and feeling like I'm going to fail this, coming out with a D and being like, skated by, I got past it, I'm moving on, that was great. But then you're like, if I had just studied, I could have gotten I could have gotten an A. I could have knocked this thing out of the park. You can do so much better, but like Or that read D. the instructions, realized it was an open book <laughs> test. Yeah, that too. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like the habitat quality is, is poor enough where when we do things, when we do manage um, to some degree, we see that response, which is that encouragement to keep going, but we don't want to stop there. We're hungry, we're greedy. And, and truthfully, the habitat and the landscape is telling us that it needs it. When we go and we evaluate a property or we go and we walk a timber stand, you know, we're seeing things that uh, the, the, the canopies are starting to die out. They're out-competing each other. Yep. Um, you have dead trees standing everywhere, and you have oh, and densely stocked um, timber because of poor management practices previously. Yep. So it's like... If you know how to read the environment, it's screaming at you that I'm unhealthy, I'm not doing well, and then the habitat is then therefore suffering too. So we have to be able to go in. Not just the habitat, but the wildlife as well. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. And, and a lot of times By default. It's, it's the wildlife that we don't often manage for because like white-tailed deer are so adaptive that they're going to be fine, they're going to be surviving probably not thriving yep. but at the same time some of our really key species really important species may do awful like in that non-existent canopy. or <laughs> completely non-existent yeah, yeah. so you know it, it just is this ongoing i guess continued education that this podcast will be here for a long long time yeah <laughs> because habitat is so bad and, across and, the and country yeah. And there's so many bad uh bad recommendations, bad bad plans or just lack of I think we're all guilty of this, lack of knowledge of what what really it could turn into. Yeah. If definitely. we get behind and and do it the right way. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, right. before we start jumping into this though, we need to send out the reminder that guys, we've we launched it kind of a soft launch and we've been so doggone busy with with on-site consults that we haven't messaged or preached it a whole lot, but we do have our virtual property valuations where you can chat with us. 
for an hour, two hours, however long you want to do over the phone in a online uh, meeting. Virtual um, screen share meeting. Yeah, so we're going to be going over maps, photos, references, things like that, so you can get a very good idea of what to do or a good direction of what you need to do on your farm. Um, and so we're doing that. They can check it out at landandlegacy.tv. Check on, uh, click on the consulting tab, and you'll find it probably at the bottom of the page. Another thing, if you guys are considering real estate, Matt, chat on that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. We've got some awesome opportunities to be able to work with people trying to find and identify a recreational property that's going to meet their goals of the land ownership. Um, so we can work with you on your behalf to identify those properties and then um, come in at the end of the, the um, purchasing opportunity of that property and do consultation services for you too. So let's not waste time on trying to find just a general property that's not going to meet your goals. Let's find the right property that's going to set you up for success on the front end. Um, that's certainly important. We don't want to. We want to basically expedite the the success on property. So buying right, buying the the uh, the perp, the property that's going to get you there is certainly important. We're happy to do that. Reach out through the real estate uh, consulting tab there as well on the website www.landandlegacy.tv. Last thing before we jump in, we've got QDMA Whitetail Weekend coming up this weekend. So you're listening to this podcast on March the 10th. Um, we're going to be headed to Georgia, Lord willing. Yes. Coronavirus Corona. doesn't spread like crazy. Uh. <laughs> um, uh, but we'll be headed down there. So if you guys are listening to this on March 10th, 11th, or probably just those two days, you can... You better get to Athens you on by, get there quick. by Friday, Saturday, because we're going to yeah. be down there um, doing some um, presentations, some seminars, and it's going to be a fun week. It's always great to hang out with those guys and the crowd that comes to those events. They're fantastic. For sure, we've got we've got a presentation on saddle hunting. We've got yep. a presentation on uh, increasing habitat usable space for white-tailed deer, and then also we're both, I think, going to be on the habitat panel. Yep. Uh, so we're going to be kind of busy guys down there. But exciting event. Um, hopefully you guys can um, definitely meet us down there. Or if you can't, put it on your calendar for next year. That's a heck of a time. Um, getting back into this thing, you know, when you have a closed canopy system and we're looking just, just at white-tailed deer, the production levels of one acre over a given year's time frame, we're just looking at the, the food value because if it's closed canopy timber, we know by default, okay, cover is going to be really limited, right? So, <laughs> cover food, yeah, we cover food security, <laughs> all of it, yeah, down the tank. But should, annually, should we say something before we start kind of really going into this? If your timber, if you were to score closed canopy forest on a scale of one to ten, as far as goals for white-tailed deer, outside of few acres or spots on north northerly slopes for thermal cover in the summer outside Northern of that or drainage you know wooded drainages i would consider it a one or a two yeah uh it's way down there it's like yeah. way at the bottom of the list of what we're going for yeah definitely no i i, I was gonna give it a two um, yeah just just based on the overall acorn production that and that's saying that maybe you have acorn producing trees in that timber not all closed canopy timber has that, no. or it has very, very few. So, 
So typically speaking, okay, we know that it's not a it's not a need, it's not a necessity when it comes to the life cycle, the the portion of um, habitat composition needs to be closed camp timber is very very small for deer to thrive and not just survive, but it's producing 50 to 100 pounds of food per acre annually, and there's no there's no cover value. Um, when it comes to security aspects of that timber, we still see, we still see, yes, deer making <laughs> Where a else living are they in that. Be? <laughs> yeah, like we still see deer doing that, but that doesn't mean that is good quality habitat. And that certainly does not mean that it does not have room for improvement. And yeah. that's the point that we're trying to make and drive home and that it has a small purpose, but that window is very tiny. But we need to manage the timber. It's like the window for closed canopy timber and, and what, when they're going to actually need that specifically is just like when they're going to need that dark, dense thermal cover for late winter. Like, for example, eastern tree, eastern red cedar thickets where people are really trying to monitor and get those on their property for winter thermal cover. It's like that window of time when they're going to need that is very small. Flip that, the window of time when they're going to need closed canopy forest for thermal regulation in the summer is very small. You know what? You know how much people like know that we hate eastern red cedar monocultures? I'm going to specify monoculture. You know how people like hate that? Yeah. I bet they don't know how much we despise unmanaged timber, though, too. <laughs> I don't know if they know how much we despise invasive species either they're gonna find out today though yeah uh, <laughs> check out the other podcast <laughs> but uh what number are we on we're on probably like know. 212 i think so on sportsman's nation so check out um number one through 211 yeah. <laughs> but um you know it, it's certainly and we important. need to say something too because there's there's that kind of theory that to grow timber to grow profitable logs you have to have you know you're just letting it cook if you will you're right. just letting your timber grow because we're going to be logging it you could walk 20 yards into that timber and find weed trees that need to go oh absolutely and and, and when you say weed tree let's let's slow down and define that real quick because someone's like wait wait, wait what what you got to so if you're throwing if, too many things at me right there so let's put it sense. in terms of something that anybody could or that would be easier to understand so if we're looking at crops let's just say with corn or soybeans you've got your actual financial uh tree or plant there the the plant that's going to make cash you a, a financial gain so you've got your cash crop and that's in the crop setting. So you've got corn, soybeans. Well, in timber, we're looking at species that are going to be a cash crop as well. It could be oaks. It could be walnuts. Cherry. It could be cherry. It could even be tulip poplar, depending yep. on where we're at in the market. Um, we're trying to find the most profitable species as possible. And that's not just any oak or any walnut. That's the ones that actually have a trunk that provides financial gains. Um, and so the right shape. If you're looking at, go back to the corn soybeans, it may be, it could be ragweed, it could be pigweed, it could be mare's tail, it could be, you know, sunflower, it could be even a volunteer corn in a, in a soybean field. Yeah. Um, or sedan grass. It could be any plant in an unwanted place. Um, and that's your definition of a weed. So in a 
timber stand, a weed tree is the same thing, a tree in an unwanted place. So it could be softwood trees, it could be invasive species, it could be a misshaped oak, it could be a stressed oak. It's a generic term to identify a tree that's growing somewhere that's probably impacting, let's say, the tree that is going to provide value. And value could be from a log standpoint, from from a monetary gain, or from a value standpoint of food production, whether it's a hard mass tree um, or a soft mass tree. Or overall just adding diversity to the forest. Sure, sure. And so that's our definition of a weed tree. Yeah, and so basically I look at it from a standpoint of, okay, what category does it fall into? Financial gain? Okay, financial gain and acorn production can be kind of similar in, in that standpoint from an oak stand uh from an oak tree now if i'm looking at it the other category i'm going okay weed trees if it's a 50 foot elm or a maple or a dogwood anything um hop horn beam or yeah um, any of those yeah. aspen, have to tulip be poplar whatever dang impressive for it to be a 50 foot dog water <laughs> <laughs> American yeah. hornbeam or hop hornbeam um, but at the same time if it's any of that category I look at it and go I can make this really great deer food and other species food or open canopy so I have more herbaceous plants and grasses growing underneath here's what's funny it's it has like, no purpose being that tall yeah yeah absolutely it's that so it's out of reach so it neither needs to especially be especially now for you guys that are like whoa so any elm i'm gonna cut well sometimes i'm gonna let good ones grow because i'm not i don't we hate don't, we don't hate forests i love diversity but at the yes. same time if there's 50 of them in an ache in one acre i need to thin that stand of them absolutely and so and it's all based around, let's say, whatever the, the goal is of that certain given area. What what you're trying to achieve um, will help define that that weed tree definition. But let's but there is the value, or or there is value, let's say, in trees being cut for wildlife. It's yeah. okay. Like we can we can free up an oak tree. We can do the crop tree release so it produces more mast. But then all the the trees and stumps that we cut around it, now that's pro- providing additional benefit and further value to you you can achieve everything that you want by going in and 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 cutting trees around yeah. mass producing or good quality stand timber trees. Like there's a lot of overlap here, basically. Yeah. So my goals, so people can understand where I come at it from a standpoint of my family farm. What is my goal in managing my forest? I want to increase financial gains. So I want to harvest timber for, for profit. So I'm managing for the potential harvest or the next harvest. I'm managing for diversity and I'm managing for a healthy forest not only for the forest itself, the trees, but for all native wildlife species. So that that must then mean that there is not only just big, tall trees, but there's varying stages of tree growth. For a healthy forest to operate, it has to have the ages, the age structure within forest stands or a given property for that to be able to occur. So that means that Cutting is actively happening to achieve all of those set goals. It's not just a stand back and watch and let just 
the survival of the fittest, you know, pick themselves within a stand of trees. You're thinning, you're thinning weed trees <clears throat> like you're pulling weeds in a garden. That's all it is. And but you're just doing it mechanically with a with a chainsaw. Yep. We'll get into those techniques, techniques. or whatever later on. But yeah. you're you're just making that decision. And to me, a lot of times what you're doing is you're just speeding up the inevitable. Like if you have an overstock density forest, too many stems per acre and in a given unit they're yeah. going to die out like yeah. they can't all live nature nature, nature just is going it. yes they're going to weed themselves out take a t- 20 years down the road run down to your local wherever store and buy six trees and go take some of those trees take three of them and stick them in your yard and then take the other three and stick them in the understory of a closed canopy woodlot and see how quickly they grow. And, and, and the know difference. what they would tell you? You know what they would tell you? Well, that's not going to work, Adam. Well, then why are we letting it work in yeah. the timber right now? Why are we not going out there and freeing up some trees? <laughs> why, are we, why are we just letting it do its thing? Because its thing has probably been mismanaged in the past prior to you owning that property that's allowing it to get to this stage. So we need to go in intercede and say okay i know that in five years or i can predict let's say by evaluating the tree health the canopy the species that are there i can predict that that tree there is not going to make it it's going to be dead in five years yeah so i'm going to choose to cut that tree if it's going to be dead in five years it's not going to provide me anything i might be able to reset that vegetation bring it back down to a deer's level but then i'm also freeing up the canopy for the tree that's next to it or the three other trees around it that are going to be productive and get me closer to a goal. Two of the biggest lies, indirect lies, that we've heard in the <clears> last <throat> hundred years. From managing natural resources. From managing natural resources. These are the two, two biggest indirect, I want to be very clear, indirect lies. Because we've heard a lot of indirect, indirect <laughs> lies. In our because <laughs> when somebody tells you this, we're going to go ahead and paraphrase and, and assume that it means blanket statement a okay smoky the bear tells us only you can prevent forest fires so over time we believe that forest fires are are bad bad. well wild land raging fires in a seven percent relative humidity out west burning out treetops 50 50 foot tall yes that's that's bad from a standpoint of it's pretty catastrophic at the same time that's a whole other podcast, but basically that tells us that's bad, okay? But not all f- prescribed fire or fire on the landscape is bad, but therefore society here is Smokey the Bear saying only you can prevent forest fires, and we think, whoa, fire's bad. That's one lie that we fell victim yep. to. The other one is that to well, save the environment, we're going to have to plant trees. Or, yeah, or, or, to, or that logging is, is bad. bad. Yes, and so save the environment, and there's campaigns happening right now where you buy something and and to save the environment, they're going to plant a tree somewhere in the rainforest or somewhere. And, and, And yes, sure, it's great that we have trees going in the ground and it's not all cutting trees, but at the same time, there's a whole lot of forests across the globe begging to get cut that are that need thinning, they need to be released, managed, and and. It's happening right in front of our eyes. We have yep. overstocked forests across the country oh, that yeah. are doing nothing but 
raising ticks. You know, <laughs> and oh, so them, them tick first. Yeah. Um, well, and 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 here's the, here's the other thing too from from guys who like to cut trees. Um, how many times when you really start to sink a saw into stuff, are you finding out that they're hollow? Oh, like like when you start to cut a bunch, it's like. I guarantee this one's gonna be hollow, and then you get halfway through, and your saw just zips. You, you know, like, the worst wow. part is when you sink a saw into a giant tree, and you and find out it's hollow. Yeah, I get real nervous I, real fast. It's exactly. like, uh, oh, crap! Mm-hmm. I hope I, I hope I, I'm not. Better get out this from up. underneath this thing. Yeah, yeah. But usually yeah. a big tree like that, though, you find out in the first face cut. But yeah, at the same time, amid I did one in Illinois last week where it was like a good eight inch tree. It was mm-hmm. leaning really good, and I thought, okay, I don't even. I'll just. And it was like, uh-oh, this yep. thing's hollow. Thankfully, oh, yeah. it's leaning hard. But, you know, and that's something, too, that I guess as we jump into starting to cut trees now, we know that we need to thin the forest. We need to remove the weed trees. We need to actively engage. And, fellas, this comes from – this podcast is driven off a of real-world experience. This this yeah. stuff isn't l- taught. It's not learnt in a uh, in a L-E- classroom <laughs> – a R N T learned. It's not learned it's in a, or taught in a, most university college or most universities or colleges of managing timber for wildlife. Like there's forestry and there's and there's wildlife ecology or wildlife management. But a lot of the small universities aren't teaching this. And this podcast is not that Matt and I set through. A, uh, college course and got this degree. This is I have a I have a degree in biology and a concentration of wildlife management, and I did not go to a course that talked about managing woodlots and timber for wildlife. Yeah, it doesn't this, happen a lot. There's only a select universities. Truthfully, if we're being serious with ourselves, it's common sense. It is. It is 100% common sense when we know what each individual tree does and then what it doesn't do. We can say, oh, well, yeah, that's not going to have benefit for this species that I'm trying to manage for. Therefore, I might need to cut it. Or or maybe I just need to take a general dendrology, the study of trees, to be able to identify healthy trees. Yeah. That's the other thing. Take wildlife out of the equation for, for a quick second. Yeah, we're we're thinking on the same path because like, this is my next little spill. Ju- just just walk into the timber. You can see stress in almost every single, I wouldn't say every single tree, but you can walk within a five-acre unit and see like every type of stress pretty much out there. See stress in the canopy. See stress in the base. See stress in the bark. See some disease. You can just learn about trees and learn how to identify it, and you'll find out very quickly when you begin or to just walk. The and structure evaluate. of growth. Yeah. Is this tree that appears to be healthy? <clears throat> is it growing crooked and twisted? And then in the last twenty foot, it takes a ninety and goes up through a hole in the yeah. in the canopy because that's the only way that tree, and it's the only way that tree could grow it, it, and like, survive. It has like a a, a tiny tiny canopy yeah. like it's like a it's like a, a I don't know, like ice cream cone or something like it's just barely sticking up but like everything else below is just trying to survive like it's just it's suffering it's it's like stifled yeah it's uh, it's it's a sh- crying shame but here's if you want to be a phenomenal if you take pride in being a deer manager here's what you can do to be a really good deer manager 
and this goes with any game species or anybody that owns land. If you want to, if you want to manage that farm, that acreage, the very best you can, this is where you should start. Learn what species are growing. Yeah, it's going to be impossible, and none of this amounts to a hill of beans if you can't learn the species that are on your property. Yes. <laughs> I wish I could. Back, Maybe it's, it's like back, back I, I, I want to say this, but you're going to cringe a little bit, probably. But if you don't know what species are there, don't give advice to anyone else on yeah. how to manage it. Yeah. Because if you don't know what species are there, you don't. You shouldn't. You can't give. You advice. shouldn't give advice, and you shouldn't even begin to fire up a chainsaw because we don't know if you're doing good things or bad things. That, and that's because like every every tree has a role and it will yeah. play a purpose. It's just when you sink a saw into that tree or you choose to not sink a saw into that tree, you're dictating what that role is. Yeah. Whether it's good or whether it's bad. Yeah. You're the one who says what's going to happen. But if you can't identify the tree and you don't know what role it plays for the goal, then you shouldn't be doing it. So, so maybe this is good timing for this podcast. We're telling you what to do so you can spend all spring and summer IDing those trees because yes. it's a whole lot easier to ID trees through the growing season than sure. the dormant season. But IDing those trees, and I don't even care if you go out with red paint and paint all the oaks. Yeah. At least just categorize the oaks, and yep. then we'll go into red oak, black oak. And we're going, we're going to go into some forest next next year next consultancy though just a rainbow. <laughs> well, that's my green elms. I'm just that's my red. <laughs> I'm just picturing I'm just picturing red at the top of the trunk, head yeah. high, and then it turns into pink as they start IDing the fact that it's okay. It's an yeah. oak. Now it's a red oak. Now it's actually a, a black. It's in the black it's, oak. It, yeah, it's, it's a black oak. oak. Okay. And it's like what's the three different colors? Oh, I had to categorize. Or 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 someone messes up and they can't erase it, so they just spray something over top <laughs> yeah. of like white start over. Yeah. <laughs> so ID your trees and start to learn what they are. And then the next step is to learn what category it falls into of is this a tree that's going to make me money later on to where I might be able to buy more equipment or heck, more acreage mm-hmm. depending on what species it is. And therefore, we should say that my goal is to maximize the profits of my farm. And I can grow pretty darn good deer in the process of that. And if you, if you, if you don't know how to do that, that's okay. But figure out, work with someone who can teach you that. Wink, wink, nod, nod. Yeah. But, but make sure you take those steps ahead of time and and maybe you're already there maybe you can identify all these trees that's great but maybe then at your you're at the point where we're getting into of okay i know what all these trees are but how do i, I like guys how do i execute wise use of these resources cuz i have heard over time so many different things and so many just like absolute statements of this is the way to do it no this is the way to do it. And then you hear someone else say something completely different that contradicts all the other things that you've heard about how to go about managing timber. Yeah. And it's like, I, and, and I've had this conversation. I know you have too, Adam, with, with people. And it's like, I know that I need to do it. I know that I need to get into the timber acres on the property and manage them. But I'm so confused on how to do it that I'm scared to do it because I don't know if I'm going to therefore then do it wrong. 
And that's not a cool place to be. We need we need analysis paralysis. Yeah, we we there's need two, good information. Two schools <clears throat> of thought. No, not really. There's there's the I don't know anything, so I'm not going to do anything. Yeah. Or I've consumed too much information, and it all contradicts itself. Yeah. And now I don't want to do anything. Yeah. Because I'm scared. Yeah. I, I, I know I need to do something, but this, 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 this tell me to do it this way, and all this other stuff tells me to do it that way, and I, I don't know why. And, and yeah, so then which one do I do? Yeah. And, and, and what you're probably going to find out is maybe it's a combination of everything. But, <laughs> exactly. But let's get there. Exactly. But let's get there. Yeah. So, so first, let's learn some species. Yep. Let's learn if it's good, bad, what category it falls into. Is it going to make me money, or should I de- designate this to wildlife habitat? Wildlife benefit. Because, lo and behold, the stuff that's really great for timber value that's going to make us money can produce a crop of acorns or nuts that's going to be beneficial to wildlife. Sure. But then there's other species that may not produce a— Have a, a lower timber value. Lower timber value. But higher browse value, and that's where it's like this: this model of of can you have maximum forestry production and maximum wildlife? Eh, maybe not, but can you have a great mixture of both? Absolutely, you can. And this is where this is where the rubber meets the road: is identifying the species that are going to give you the max benefit for both. Well, that, and that kind of goes or the with... the benefit for both, let me say. In the timber, but flipping the open <clears throat> landscape, can you maximize cattle production and maximize wildlife production? No. But can you have really good cattle production and really good wildlife? You better believe it. And that's the way I want to be. Yeah. I, I don't that's how think I want that's my That's a whole other podcast yeah. of not maximizing one category. But overall, you're maximizing the entire category. Wise use of natural resources, which is what we're trying to talk about and share. So, man, this one is just like we could go off in this round. So it's a three-hour podcast. Hang (laughs) on tight. Yeah. Um, Gosh, it's just like okay, I'm learning these species. Now I know I know what I want to do. Well, now I can walk up to that tree and say, "This is what it is." Yeah. At least this is an oak. And it looks like it's got a great canopy. I mean, it looks big, majestic. It's a straight log. There's not a whole lot of limbs out the bottom. That one might make me some income one day. Mm-hmm. I'm going to leave it. But right next to it is a white oak. And I always heard white oaks were great. But he's all twisted and you gnarly. You better leave it, too. You better leave it, too. Even though he's twisted and gnarly, well, he's still a white oak. I know he's or, good. Or maybe I've got I've got three straight trees growing close, three white oaks that are growing real close to each other. It's like... I'm cutting. Some of you guys are getting sacrificed. Like, yeah. I'm probably going to cut one or two of you, just depending on what, what, what the area, what else is there. But yeah. it's like, what's having best close for density. the species is not always what's best for the individual. Yeah, absolutely. And that, I think of like prescribed fire, where mm-hmm. people are worried about burning up nests. Well, we may have to lose one nest every three years. But to, I know all the other nests that, that all the hatch. other nests are going to come into this area and be super beneficial. Yeah. And so that's the same the same thing. I might have to sacrifice trees. Well, it just goes to the research that Dr. Craig Harper and his guys have, have put out, and he's done some podcasts on is, okay, I've got 70% of the white oak trees. I mean, uh, I got 40% of the white oak trees producing 70% of the acorns. I can sacrifice some white oaks, and I'm not interfering with the overall production of or I'm not losing production out of the white oak hard mast in my my timber. In fact, a lot of times I'm gaining You're more. You're gaining it exactly. Yeah. That's so that's like, one of the biggest things. 
Well, I guess there's a lot of fears of cutting timber. It's going to be messy. It's going to grow up in brush. Another one is I'm going to lose my acorn production. You're darn right it's growing up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, brush. Heck the yeah. word that, oh, that's right up next to predators. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you know, like to me, there's just so many fears that go involved with, with timber management. But our biggest fear is what they're doing is not doing anything. Yeah. That's like the biggest fear is like, 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 could you imagine if we all went out and did nothing on our timber? Like the wildlife would struggle. Take your hands and then, and then just put them on your seat and then just sit on them. Yeah. Like that's the scary part that that's not an answer. Uh, being idle is not is not an answer to or it. so those know. hands are in the food pl- in the one acre food plot yeah. all season yeah yeah <laughs> and neglecting the actual timber portion because because yeah. I mean as and this is this doesn't go for all of the all the timbered acres I got a shirt for you or some kind of okay. meme is is the uh, a <laughs> oh man. I might offend some of you with this one, so I'm sorry. But a deer guy's fingers have—he's got dirt under his under his fingernails because he and he—he's out in the food plot like crazy. Yep. And he thinks he's doing awesome stuff, but a land manager's got calluses on his hands because he's running a chainsaw yep. most of the months out of the year. <laughs> <laughs> and that's who I want you to have calluses, yeah, because that's when we know where you're running a saw. You're doing stuff that's really meaningful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, or you're doing stuff like maybe your food plots are. They're fine. Like they can grow, they can have some weeds in them. It's okay. Yeah. It's deer food. Um, yeah. But but there's there's some areas and some portions of timber, um, then where we've gone to and we've evaluated us like given acres, and and there has been no trees worth saving. No. But but at the same time frame, there's been people who we've walked that timber with who have said, "Isn't this gorgeous? Or isn't this oh. awesome?" And it's like. No, <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, who, by what terms are we talking? Yeah, yeah. From yeah. what standpoint or what perspective are we talking? Because you told me your goals were X, but this is going completely against that. Like, yeah. we're not getting anywhere. This is this is taking steps back. So, like, we got to really, really manage intensely in here, and it's going to take work. But I know that that work is going to result and and benefit. So we just got to attack it aggressively. But Let's go into kind of our scenario of, yeah. okay, now we've set the stage for, guys, I get it. Timber management is important. I don't need to be scared of doing it, but but take me to what are the techniques and how do I implement these techniques? Is one superior to another? What do I do? How do I execute now that I know that it's important? So we've got yeah. a scenario. Kind of walk us through that, Adam. So it's basically we're taking a 20-acre woodlot, um, of course, this could be in many, many states. Um, but it's a mix of species. We've got maples. We've got oaks. We've got elms. Um, we've got cedars, eastern red cedars specifically. Uh, Matt doesn't have that, but I'm going to make that on there, on the notes. Because um, there's multiple types of cedars. Yeah, White that's cedar one of the biggest. and eastern red cedar, completely different. Um, we got dogwoods. So we'll go with flowering dogwoods and um gray dogwoods we've got hickories let's even throw some because we've got varying slopes and elevation we'll throw in some eastern uh, ironwood musclewood in okay. there right. um, or any of the hornbeams same thing so we're just we're going with those um but so our goals is we want to improve bedding cover 
in certain units and overall production and health of the forest while increasing browse and herbaceous cover. Here's what it would look like with each technique. And so so the techniques here, here here's the can if you can start oh hearing it begin to open that. And and these are the things that always get I debated. I don't think it's a can. I think it's a drum. <laughs> it's a drum. It's a 55 gallon drum this week that we're opening. <laughs> <laughs> but but it is hinge cutting. Yep. Versus a popular popular one. Yep. Versus um hack and squirt versus just flush cutting. Or, yep. or just a, those are those are basically and and what we see, all or the girdle questions, and spray, yeah, or girdle and spray, similar to hack and squirt, but right. a little bit different technique, but same result, let's say. Yep. Um, but basically, those are like the three to four most popular techniques that everyone's just questioning. Yeah. How do we? What do we do? I don't know what's best. I've heard this. I've heard that. But we're just going to go through and say, okay, here's the scenario. Let's talk about the pros and the cons of if we just did this technique, and then if we just did X technique, then we just did the bottom one. So yeah. let's walk through that, be as detailed as we can, paint I'll, the picture of what that's going to look like from an implementing, and then five years down the road, what that's going to look like. Yep, and I want to address the fact that um, we use all of those tools. Yeah. Like each one of those, it's not the tool, it's a tool. Um, each one of these four is a tool in a tool bag to manage a forest, but it should not be your only tool. Like, and I think we've made this and I got it later on in the notes, but, but basically you're not going to go and build a house or let's just say you had saws all like just different types of saws. You hired a general contractor to come build your home. And, and he all he brings up, up is, a, is, is a hammer and a saw. Well, he's I, fired. I'm, I'm just thinking that all he brings up is a sawzall. Like that's okay. all he's got. He goes, yeah. I'm going to cut everything I need to with this sawzall. Yeah. And it's like, whoa, But are you going to use the handle as a hammer? <laughs> yeah. But, but then his other options are table saw, skill saw, and a miter box. Like there's a bunch of different ways in every single thing. <laughs> chainsaw. And a chainsaw. <laughs> yeah. But it's like if that's if that's all that you're taking to the woods out of a toolbox, then you, then you're handcuffing yourself and not not making that home as good as it can be, or not managing that habitat or that natural resource yeah. as good as it can be. If you're only selecting one tool to use, you might get that house built, but in one year it's going to fall down, <laughs> or it's going to need to be braced up real <laughs> bad, <laughs> yeah. or in many instances the guy that's building that home ain't the one living there yeah anyway. no doubt no doubt and his tools <laughs> show it yes exactly so let's just start um let's just start with hinge cutting so, yeah so we've got because this. it's most popular is that sure. why it's at the top sure. hinge cutting we're gonna get to all of them so. yeah hinge cutting <laughs> is definitely i mean we use this one probably more than most of you guys would believe but we do use it now, we don't use it as a one-stop shop, fix the habitat, fix all your woods. It's not like, oh, it's timber lot. It's time to hinge cut. It's not like that, but we no. still use it. Yeah, and, and, and the, the pros for utilizing a hinge cut is mm. basically immediate cover and Absolutely. food on the ground. Yep. And, and you have different instant heights food, instant cover. of cover. All, you know, it's not laying flat against the ground. Yep. Um, there is some height, vertical structure. Yeah, that's, that's cool and that's great, but... But imagine a 20-acre woodlot or imagine just one acre where every tree species was hinge cut. Yeah. We talk that a lot about usable good. space. And yes. Kyle and Frank bring that over from, from the upland side. Yes. Um, and But in, in a white-tail world, 
usable space to where each acre, each square foot is can be utilized by whitetail deer. Yeah. If you take that 20-acre lot and you go in and you take one acre and you hinge cut everything, and for visual purposes, we're going to say hinge cut at two foot, two and a half foot off the ground. Yep. Need a hip height, which is a common place. We'll touch on the high hinge cuts in a second. If you did that and you hinge cut every tree in a typical forest where there are scattered trees and understory, you're creating a tremendous thicket, okay? Not by terms of tremendous is beneficial, but a phenomenal, what's that game, pickup sticks? Where yeah, you, yeah, it was like yeah, you yeah. dump them out and you're trying to pull out yeah. the stick. You're creating that to where the interior of that one acre most likely isn't getting used it, as greatly as the exterior. Outside. Yeah, yeah. Because you, it's darn near impossible for a deer to penetrate through all that. It basically, you took an entire acre and and exercised and used all your energy to to cut an entire acre but you really only got the benefit of of a quarter to a half acre out the of perimeter. entire acre. You yeah. got the perimeter. So it's like well that was that was stupid. Like I took yeah. I cut and spent the entire time to cut the acre but I'm really only getting benefit from the outside edges. Yeah. That's not as that's not as wise as it could be and one two we've probably mismanaged the species that were growing within that one acre unit within that fell within our twenty acre wood block. And what you did was you just brought that canopy that was let's say thirty foot, and you brought it down to five foot. Because we haven't used herbicide yet. We didn't use herbicide. So, so, we, so all we've got that more food happening. The, the, but a pro of hinge cut is the fact that it stays living for several years, mm-hmm. which is on most species. On most species, you get in most cuts if done correctly. Um, but you get immediate food and immediate cover, and as well as cover into the future, um, and food into the future. Yep. Now, one of the cons, or some of the cons with hinge cutting, is that it's messy, it's unnavigable. Ooh, yep. Really fat tongue that one. It's dangerous, especially if you're doing Fairy. big trees. Um, Lord have mercy. Some of the videos you see in the oh, world God. of hinge cutting. I'm makes- literally like, his head's gonna come off. Yeah, like I'm watching a man die right now. (laughs) Um, And then some species can't be hinged. So some people want to hinge cut certain species and all of a sudden they realize that they can't do it. They can't handle it, but they don't realize that it's going to die anyway. Well, that's going to die or it's just literally, it's very, very dangerous to be doing that because it's a very hard, dense, fibrous wood and it's going to cause barber chairing and it's just not, it's not safe so I so what we uh, established basically was okay there's some pros there yeah. there's some advantages probably for certain species but it doesn't really make sense to do the entire thing so okay yeah cool now um, let's discuss something as well when you bring that canopy down to five foot yeah five years from now if you hinge cut everything you're going to have a whole bunch of your closed canopy again y- your closed canopy but it's only 10 foot off the ground yeah and so you'll get that immediate flush of some of your herbaceous plants and grasses, and you'll even, but you, what you'll get more of is brambles. Yeah. You'll have raspberry, multifloral rose, yep. gooseberry, even coralberry, which yep. isn't a bramble, buckbrush, but yep. it, it, buck brush, some people call it. That's all going to come up if it's, if that's a shade. Sort. Yeah, you've got these semi-shade tolerant species that are going to benefit, and so you get that flush, and you may think, you may be fooled thinking that, wow, we did some good, but 
We didn't get that's the not desirable that we're looking forage. for. That's yeah. not desirable forage. It's additional cover, but but really five more it years could be after so that, much better. It could be so so much better. But five years after that, how do you maintain those sprouts above that are already at five foot level when you cut it? And then it's like now it's way out of reach. Like what do you do? Yeah. What do you what do, you, what's the I, next? I sure the heck wouldn't crawl back in there with a chainsaw. Heck no, there's no way I'm doing it. So yeah. but that's the thing of like I gotta think I can't think short term and think just food cover, food cover everywhere right here. I've gotta think down the road, is this the best use of the area and, and the wise management of the resources growing here because And fire won't I touch those species. And yeah. I, 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 I mean it would if it was a tremendous fire but we don't want to send but any of those in there you yeah you're, you're taking a really really big uh dense bark tree most likely at the base that's already well established fire it's not going to kill that thing. and at the same time it's still living it's still <laughs> right. sending nutrients right. so it's going to take a heck of a fire Hellacious to kill it fire like it's and so happening. yeah and and so now but then you're sitting again on your hands saying well i just I just messed up. Like, I can't do anything now. Done messed up, A.A. Ron. <laughs> yeah. I can't do anything now. And it's five years later, and I've got yeah. I've got closed canopy again. Yeah. So I was like, Ugh. Bring in the dozer. Yeah. Start over. About it. And so that's that's what happens when you do your normal two to four foot hinge cut. Yeah. If you did higher ones, just real quick, it's just a faster pace regeneration that turns into closed canopy at 10 to 15 foot high. Um, and you don't get the benefit of the herbaceous plants and grasses no. almost at all because the the high hinge cuts. So high hinge cuts are not something we do unless it's like trying to really screen eyeballs from a road. Um, and even then, we if if try we to avoid will them. implement it on the species that that we'll we'll discuss, um, it's going to be about knee to mid thigh level. Yeah, and absolutely. It. And 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 size wise too, I'm probably not going to hinge anything over a six inch diameter yeah. like yeah. it's just not i'm not gonna do it yeah. um and the other thing too when you find I out ain't when it. I, ain't de- I ain't done it <laughs> you're when you start to try and hinge everything that tree does not fall with let's say intensity to the yeah. ground like when you flush cut it and there's nothing holding that tree like the actual hinge gracefully placing it on top of other canopies like it doesn't just fall right yeah you get everything hung up like yeah. everything wants to hang up, and it's just not safe anymore. Um, so then you got to drop a big monster tree, and it's like a big old domino game. That just doesn't work. Yeah, doesn't work. No. So avoid the high hinge cuts. Yeah, pretty much always, and then don't get carried away with the hinge cuts. Yeah, absolutely. So that's one scenario. <clears throat> yep. Now, what happens if we go in and we flush cut everything? Yeah. Let's talk yeah. about the pros and the cons of that. You know, flush cutting, we're basically cutting out a cutting a tree less than two foot high yep. all the way through. Um, top falls over, and we, we're left with a stump. Um, you have a long regeneration depending on Yeah, depending on the species, depending on the size, and also kind of depending on the time of the year when you yeah. cut it that depicts on what kind of regeneration we get out of that stump. If you're cutting late summer, you might not get a ton of regeneration. And if you're cutting a big tree, you may not get some regeneration, especially hardwoods. Yep. But I have seen ginormous oak trees be cut and stump sprouting like crazy. It's it's kind of this weird conundrum. To me, it's just like, (laughs) yeah, throw your hat in the air. It's like 50-50. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. so you yeah. do get old. maybe I will maybe I won't. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the oak's yeah. saying. Maybe yeah. I will regenerate. Maybe I won't. 
Um, and but so you get that regeneration period. You, you have a much longer period, let's just say, if you don't come back and do any type of management um, th- before you get to a closed canopy situation. Yeah. And and you have way more sunlight, so you get the herbaceous cover that's hitting the, the coming up from the forest floor. Yep. You have the woody re-sprouts. But then five years down the road, if you want to use prescribed fire, fire will have a, a more a bigger impact um, on those woody re-sprouts as well as the vegetation. So if you have a bigger amount of sunlight, you don't have the buckbrush or the gooseberry um, to the same um, degree. degree. Yeah. You might get in more grass component as well as the blackberry, the greenbrier, the goldenrod, the ragweed, the beggar's lice, the, all, all, all sorts of stuff. You just get a different suite of species coming back because you have more yeah. sunlight. And at the same time, this gives you the ability to choose whether or not you want to treat it with a herbicide. Yeah. If it's a noxious, if it's yeah. tree of heaven, if it's, uh, or you just have a ton. How many places have we gone where it's just like 80% hickory? Yeah, shag like, bark hickory. I'm not going to not treat some yeah. of these trees because I don't just need to take this from overstocked hickory to overstocked saplings. Understory. <laughs> yeah, yeah. understory I of, need to take this to a whole lot of dead stumps yeah i got to yeah. change this i got I, I can't just reshape it i need to i need to eradicate that's where the yep. herbicide comes in and allow you to do that flush cutting really really easily so flush cutting we're going anywhere from big trees to little trees to saplings like in anything yep anything can any get size. flush cut yep. any species yep anything can get flush cut absolutely we do if if you we look at our bedding thickets or our temporary forest openings and we're cutting, um, you know, seventy five percent of the cuts we do are flush, flush cut. cut. Yeah, and then within that seventy five percent, we decide what the percentage of herbicide treatment is going to be. Yes, um, but then you're you have so much more food availability. Let's say for a yeah. longer period of time by going in and just. And just flush cutting. Yeah. Let's just say you just flush cut everything. You have yeah. a lot of food going back into those acres. And the ability, the usable space, because you're flush cutting, laying everything down flat against the ground, yep. deer, turkeys, other critters can go and move all the way through those cuts they most can, likely. Deer and turkeys can <clears throat> hop over them. You we, can stack a couple of them on top of each other, and yep. they're still to a point where they can walk over them. Um, I've been to some areas where it's been it's grown so thick that you're like, wow, it's gonna take a little bit of time for this to uh, be useful. But but what would have happened if you hadn't cut it? You know yeah. what I mean? Like it still would have been really lacking and not very well used. And this is why this is why I like to cut in the winter. If you yeah. cut them with leaves still on the trees, it looks a whole lot thicker and oh, it stays yeah. a whole lot thicker. And by having everything flush cut and laying flat against the ground, even if you have really high stock density or high stem density and you're like, wow, how can something move through here? Prescribed fire will consume those species because they actually go and they dry out. Yeah. And then the fire will consume them. I remember um, a temporary forest opening that you and Chad cut on the hillside. Prairie Point. It was like super, 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 super thick. Yeah. With like four-inch oaks yep. everywhere you look and down it's like how is something gonna walk across that oh my gosh fire went through there wow where'd they go yeah gone 
gonzo, like snap of, snap of your fingers. But that's where the hinge cutting, not to not to get off the flush cutting, yeah. but that's where hinge cutting hinge cutting can come into play because sure. it doesn't get consumed in the fire nearly as quickly. Mm-hmm. So you still have some woody structure sure. staying through the fire. Yep. Yep, there's, and there's that's where that diversity benefit. exactly would a come divert. in. I don't. I think we're going to go over that in the we future, will. but we that will. is because that's where everybody's thought went. Well, what if I flush cut everything? Yeah, this is why flush cutting. If you were to do just one of these tools and you say this is all I'm doing, and I'm not going to do any of the other techniques, it's flush cutting. I'm flush cutting everything. Yes, absolutely. I to me, you know. They break down faster. There's automatically more sunlight on the ground. Deer and other turkey or other wildlife can move through much much easier because they can step over the trees mm-hmm. or move around the trees. There's a lot more usable space. Yep. You you have an acre of benefit. One of the when biggest done. misconceptions, and there's a little bit of uh, validity to it, but is the fact of it takes much longer to flush yeah. cut than it does any Timing. of these other things. And, and, Cause that's why a that lot of people are like, I want, what, 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 like, what's the rate here guys? Like how much can I cover? What can I do? This and that. It's like, it all depends on the actual timber composition, but you have the ability, in my opinion, if you know what you're doing, I would much rather flush cut an acre time wise than try and hinge cut an acre. Like yeah. I can move way faster flush cutting everything. Cause I'm just cutting them. Like I'm just letting yeah. them fall where they're naturally going to fall or where I need yeah. to place them. But and typically I don't have to return in five years and try to cut again. Yeah, like I you might have to do with hinge cutting. Yeah. But it is a little bit more labor intensive than the next technique yeah. we're gonna talk about. But it's if you're gonna do it, it's yeah. worth doing right the first time. And at the same time, we'll I'll have a rebuttal on, on a reminder for people because the next technique is another very popular one. Yeah. And if side by side comparison, I'd take a man who's very skilled with this next one, and I'll say, "You do. We're going to cut a hundred stems of, yep, baseball bats, baseball bat size things, trees. You're going to do it your way. I'm going to do it my way. We'll see who gets done faster. Yeah. And I'll almost, I'd almost put my next paycheck whenever that comes in. Um, <laughs> um, put that out there and say. If I don't, if I'm not five minutes behind him, if I'm not five minutes behind him, then you guys can have it. Yeah. Put it to a charity of your choice. I wouldn't even say five minutes. I'd be five minutes ahead. I I think so. And much more beneficial to the wildlife. Yes, absolutely. So, so so that's one of the cons of flush cuttings. There's a little bit more, um, I would say labor intensive. Yeah. Not necessarily time, but just labor intensive. It takes more energy to do it, to cut and run that chainsaw. Yep, but I'm doing it for the wildlife. And and one big thing, uh, problem that I see with a lot of flush cutting is we stick to the understories, and we oh. thin the understories, and we don't want to get into the big trees. The mid stories. Honestly, the big trees are the ones that occupy it, the sunlight. Yeah, and th- those are the actual crop tree. It doesn't matter what species, but those are the crop tree because they're the ones controlling the next generation because they're yep. bearing the seeds. And if you don't know how to run a chainsaw. Hire Don't, somebody yeah, to do it just or be careful and take the classes. Don't cut what you don't, what you can't cut. Yeah. But this, this, that, for that reason too, that's why we like diversity. And we'll get yeah. into that in a second. Because we see a lot of cuts where, you know, we see them on neighboring properties or just purchased properties or, or uh, properties in real estate where it's like, oh, they did a bunch of 
hinge cutting or did yeah. a bunch of cutting in here. They only cut the understory and the canopy's already closed back up. And, and they didn't all get the it response. is is brambles. Yeah, they didn't get the response from vegetation that, yeah. that could have been far superior if they'd just gone ahead and cut. Yeah. And, and you, basically, the suite of species that you get when you get 30% sunlight in versus when you get 70% sunlight, completely different. And deer are going to respond and other wildlife are going to respond much better and at a higher prevalence rate with the 70% sunlight species versus what comes back when yeah. you only get 30% and I should sunlight. say this. Um, this is a common thing that we say when we're cutting embedding thickets, and it's Genesis 1-3. Okay. And God said, let there be light. <laughs> yeah. And there was when, light. When, when we finish up and we're packing up and it says, God said, let there be light, baby. And there I can't was tell light. you how many times you've started cutting, especially if you do it in the growing season, and it's like darker in the timber, and then you get done and you're in the hot sun. That's when you know you did a good job. Yeah. If you're still in the shade when you think you're done cutting, yeah. cutting in a bedding yeah. area, if you you're don't not find done. yourself saying Genesis one three when you get done cutting, you probably need to cut <laughs> some more. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's funny. I like it. Uh, so the next one, um, hack and squirt. That's yeah. the other big technique hack that and people squirt, are just ma'am. all about. And girdling spray. We can throw we'll, we'll these kind of together because because both are using herbicide. Yeah. And essentially, they're the the purpose is to terminate that tree. Yeah. Kill it with a herbicide. Kill it So out. hack and squirt is typically with a hatchet or machete. You're chopping just through the bark into the cambium layer, and you're squirting a herbicide into that cambium layer to kill that tree. Yes. So the poison, the herbicide's going into the roots. And uh, I sound like a real green freak when yeah. I said that. I was I? like, ooh. <laughs> ooh, someone's not going to like herbicide. that. There's We're an email. That, that herbicide. There's a bad review. <laughs> We're spraying that herbicide in that cambium layer and killing that tree. Um, so hack and squirt. Girdle and spray is taking a chainsaw and sinking it in just through the bark, and you're just wringing that tree. And, it's basically and ringing is walking all the way around with that saw in there to yeah. create a cut into yeah. the cambium. And then you're spraying a herbicide into it. Yes. Another thing you see is just typically girdling. That's a technique that yeah. doesn't even need to be mentioned because I don't want anybody doing yeah. it because I don't see very good success with I that. I see horrible success. And that's basically, oh, just double girdle it. Put two bands around Seen that tree. Jump, uh, jump, jump like lot. crazy ineffective if you're going to girdle use herbicide yep if you want the tree dead use herbicide yeah um so hack and squirt hack and squirt basically you know the pros to it um is you can move pretty quickly through the timber you can kill a lot of trees pretty quickly um but you're by killing that tree you're taking all the energy all the years of growth and erasing it saying you're no good to me and it's it's a complete 100 percent restart yeah, like so, the, the, but it's a it's a so we talked about like the tree species of okay you have some that are like timber value or hard mass value that need a good canopy to produce a, a food value but there's a lot of other species that when you cut them the regeneration is very beneficial oh phenomenal and elm, all, you, all you have to elm, do is red cut them. maple um dog dogwood. flowering dogwood even yep. hickories in a lot of places I love to see them regenerating. Um, and and if you black gum is another big one. If you go in and you say this is bad, I'm going to kill it with a hack and squirt. You're going well. Now we have to wait 
we have to hope that we're killing enough trees to get sunlight on the forest floor to then something to germinate and start growing. And much of the Whitetails range, much of the United States, woody browse is lacking. Down south, it's not as needed because... Your winters aren't very wintry. Yeah, so <laughs> browse is coming in the more of a herbaceous You have a longer form. growing season, too. Yeah, so, so just... if you plant for woody browse in Georgia, um, if you're not managing it, it can grow out of reach of a white-tailed deer pretty quickly. Yep. Up in the north, there's a good chance they're going to keep consuming it in reach to Into where it the stays dirt. within yeah. reach. So woody browse, don't let anything fool you. It's a crucial part of a white-tailed deer. A white-tailed deer diet and by hack and score to girdling spray we lose out on that value absolutely you do you, you you take it right off the table so for example when do we use hack and squirt typically it's an understory type management tool of certain species dominating the understory uh, that aren't going to provide woody brows. I think of specifically when I see tulip poplar, yep. um, eastern hop hornbeam or ironwood, um, American hornbeam or musclewood, um, sweet gum. Um, those are, you know, those are some of the, the ones that I can think of. I know you're trying to think of a few more, but when you see an understory filled with these little you know, baseball bat size, that's when we use hack and squirt. I don't typically go into hack and squirt a bunch of 8-inch oaks no. or a bunch of 12-inch walnuts or whatever um, with hack and squirt. I'd much rather use that root mass and provide For some benefit. benefit. Yeah. And cut that tree so I get some immediate cover. Because here's the thing. And if I cut it at the right time of the year, I get immediate food. Yeah, absolutely you do. But, but here's the thing of like, that that tree let's just say it's it's an eight inch oak um it's maybe it's maybe it's 20 years old so it's got a 20 year old root system pretty dang stout root system yeah a lot of energy a lot of energy production so if i cut that i'm going to get a way more forage immediately from that tree than if i'm trying to go in and plant other trees or shrubs it's basically at that point a surrogate shrub i'm just i'm just changing the shape of of that tree and making it more shrub and bushy like and allowing it to be providing benefit in the form of forage and cover but but by killing it with herbicide i i haven't allowed that to occur and maybe that's not necessarily the goals of those acres or maybe i have that elsewhere on the property then we can use hack and squirt or maybe it's a just a species we don't want to regenerate at all but we have to remember when you're using herbicide, you're done. Like yep. you toasted that tree. It's out yep. of there. But if you're not putting pl or placing value and looking at the, the composition of deer's diet across the entire year, you could be potentially removing a resource, a valuable, potential valuable resource off that property by simply only using the hack and squirt method. doesn't make much sense to just use that. Um, the other standpoint of I'm always going to recommend on most properties prescribe fire to then maintain that habitat once I get it to the position the condition stage that I want yeah 
But if I have gone through an entire <laughs> twenty acre this unit, this is what I hate about I can't myrtle stand and spray it. and hack and squirt. If I have gone through and 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 I have that twenty acre woodlot in this scenario, and I have a thousand dead trees in that twenty in acres, varying sizes, and a snag can well go ahead. I'll jump to hit. I am gonna be. I can't say that phrase. <laughs> I am gonna be very nervous. Yeah. To be placing fire in those 20 acres because I have seen dead snags burn before. Yeah. And if I have one that has a thousand dead snags, what am I doing? It kind of goes back. You have to wait or you have to go in and cut those things down. Wait, wait, wait. So you're what telling you, me I yeah. should just cut them down the first place? And it would be a whole lot easier on a chainsaw to cut them down when they're green oh when, my gosh, rather than yeah. when they're dead and dried. Absolutely. A snag is a... A, a woody structure, any flammable, uh, dried out, thousand hour fuel. It could be anything flammable that's above the ground. It could be a treetop. It could be a broom handle stuck in the ground. Um, a witch's dead snake. <laughs> it could be a crashed witch broom. Yeah. And if, if it catches in your fire, area, we ain't coming. If it catches fire, it's going to throw embers, however far in the wind. And, and because and, and it's so, it's, it's a cancer on a fire. Is yeah. having dead snags. That's that's fire rule number one. It's walk the line, know where your snags are. Yeah. And when you're done burning, go and check your snags. Yeah. But if I have a thousand snags that I intentionally did, well, that was dumb on my part. If you're getting hack and squirt and fire recommended, or you're 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 thinking I'm going to do hack and squirt and fire, you're inviting a lawsuit or a. One mad or neighbor. You're asking. You're asking that fire to at some <laughs> point fire. jump the line. Yeah. That just doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't. If you want to utilize it for a portion or a couple trees that you don't feel comfortable felling because they're very large, go ahead, girdle it, spray it, but make sure it's the interior of your fire line. Yeah. And I might do that for a couple, but I am in no way, shape, or form going to go into an entire area. And do it myself, nor recommend it, because yeah. I'm I I know what I want to do later on. Kind of goes back to the hinge cut. I'm probably not going to go hinge them because then my fire my prescribed fire isn't going to reset that vegetation. I'm going to have to go back in mechanically or with herbicide and do it. I should have just done it right from the beginning. And and what I mean What's right is the phrase measure twice and cut once. Yeah, think about what this area is going to be down the road. And how I'm going to need to manage it to get the benefit out of these acres 5, 10, 20 years down the road. doesn't make sense to create it. You're, all, all you've done is just create another task for you to do. This is supposed to be fun. This is supposed to be an enjoyable. Enjoy your land. But if I can use prescribed fire to do that work for me, rather than going back in and cutting more. Yeah, drop 80, these it's 80 snags, grit management. Uh, by by doing that. something that you're going to have to do twice, you're making it 220. And you should be focused on other places of your property rather than going back and cutting there. I hack and swear. Now I'm going to go back and cut so I can burn. Oh, oh, oh. It's, it's a it's, crash. It, yeah. <laughs> it's like I'm not I'm not going to create the more work for myself. Yeah. So clearly it's uh, hack and squirt ranks down on the list for us on utilizing because, you know, you, you're, you're losing out on the energy of the tree. Um, mm-hmm. you're losing out on that immediate cover. You're losing out on that potential regeneration of food and cover. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you're creating snags if you're doing very big ones at all. Um, so it's basically interior fire units on the understory that's densely stacked is where I would say that's probably where I would do it. Yeah. Yeah, it's not around but, the edges, not along your road systems. It's, it's, but if it's I'm, not that application. If I'm drawing a line somewhere in northern Missouri, straight, let's say, northern Missouri, north the, the north border of Kentucky, um, southern Ohio, kind of along that line, anything north of that Woody Browse is crucial. Yeah. That late winter Woody Browse. So you shouldn't most likely do hack and squirt unless there's an invasive species you're just trying to control. Yeah, or, or outside you just of have that, to I'd be trying to maximize woody browse. Yeah. So I wouldn't be hack and squirting at all. Yep. But if I'm down south, I may be doing it a lot more. Again, you've just heard, okay, three to four different techniques. I'm throwing the girdling yeah. in with, with the hack and squirt because um, essentially the, the end result is the same thing. Um, three different combos ways of techniques that are highly debated but they all have pros and cons yep so so this goes back to okay if i have three different ways to skin this cat of doing timber management that i know from the beginning of the podcast i know i need to be doing how do i how do i implement all these different techniques because we we can and again going back to that building house mentality of i've got all these tools i should probably utilize them to some degree. I can't just utilize just the one. Yeah. So when it comes to hinge cutting, the trees that we'd like to hinge, prefer to hinge, are six inches in diameter and below. Yeah. And it's like the red maple, the flowering dogwood, um, some hickories, elm. American elm. Those yeah. those black gums, those puppies are the ones that are like, woo. Those I'm, are awesome. I'm gonna I'm gonna hinge some not of those. Not all of them. No, not all of them. But because of course, guess yeah. what? If I flush cut them. They're still gonna they're oh, still yeah. gonna stump sprout. Yeah. And that's that's perfect. That's what I want. Yeah. So I can incorporate that into the mixture of flush cutting. Uh, we know we're gonna do quite a bit of mo- mm. a larger majority of flush cutting because we're gonna get the vegetative response that we want. We can do it safely. We're we know how to cut. Um and, and I'm gonna make this acre more usable yeah. at the same time. But maybe I get to a couple trees or or, or maybe I have someone who wants to help me in this uh, timber unit who doesn't know how to run a chainsaw. Or it's the center of a big fire unit and they're big trees. I may girdle and spray those. Yeah. Just to kill them. And I will say this. I guess if we're going to put one down over the other, I'm not hacking and squirting. I'm definitely going to girdle it and spray. I have had so many trees that's like, why did that not work? Why did that not work? Why did that not work? <laughs> you I, know why? I, I put too many. And and honestly, one of the other reasons is make sure you read the herbicide label. There's a an ideal temperature that those herbicides will work in. Yeah. And if you're not doing that temperature range, it may not be effective. Yeah. That's a lot of work that is like crap. Yep. But girdle it and spray it. Because I have also hacked some trees where it worked on portions of the trees. And you look up <laughs> in the canopy and you come back and you're like, what is that gum? I got an eighth of the tree and it that's may still ki- green. And it may kill it two years from now. It's like yeah. a slow death. And <laughs> Just expedite it. Just, just cut it. Yeah. Or, or cut it and treat it or girdle it and Be spray it. Man. <laughs> <laughs> it feels yeah. a lot more manly to cut it with a chainsaw well, anyway. Well, when that tree drops, it shakes your it yeah. shakes the ground. You're like, yeah, I just did that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You kind of beat your chest a little yeah. bit. But when I hack and squirt, I'm like, <laughs> 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 Yeah. 
I hacked you. I think in between the hack and squirt, like in between trees, you have to skip a you few do. times. <laughs> it's it's more of like a, a like a leprechaun leap. There's like a forth. mandatory ribbon you have to yeah. twirl. To. <laughs> it's weird. Like immediately after I'm done running a chainsaw all day, I have to shave my chest, or it's just out of control. It's so manly. <laughs> yeah. So combine that. Let's look at a yeah. bedding thicket in it. We got a 20-acre unit. We put in three bedding thickets that are one acre in size. So we got total of three acres. Yep. It's a diversity of cuts. We've yeah. we've hinge cut thirty a third of them, sure. and we flush cut the other the other two, two thirds. thirds. Yeah. Just and math at them. Just well, numbers. I was thinking ahead. <laughs> I was going okay, and then we're going to do some hack and squirt. In right. the remainder of the twenty acres, sure, um, we could we could do that on some of the other trees because again, let's outside, just say I do, let's outside. Just, I don't do any hack and squirt in a bedding thicket. No, because no. I want woody brows and I want cover and I want a thick, gnarly mess designed method to the madness mess. But but the seventeen acres that remain outside of the three that are pretty much clear cut, those things can have all of these techniques yeah. utilized in them and those 17 acres need to be probably addressed. not as much hinge cutting because we, yes. we want our bedding thickets to be when we send fire through we want the bedding thickets to have the structure in them we want the timber to be a mix of herbaceous plants and her uh and grasses and one thing about hackett squirt well. too i i know i want to mention is when you do the hackett squirt with the goal of getting native or herbaceous plants and grasses that's all great during the growing season, but after the first frost, it's wide open again. That yeah. woody browse from a regenerating stump or a hinge-cut tree is food through the winter. And and the brambles grow all up in amongst them. Yeah. When you have a standing it, even dead the tree. grasses, too, yeah. and it you provides have, better cover. You have a standing dead tree. Greenbrier doesn't really hardly grow up it because the canopy is way, way, way out of reach. But if you have a canopy that is that has been or a tree that has been flush cut and the canopy is laying down on the ground, you have blackberry, you have greenbrier growing across it, and that cover visually is much more dense and stays a heck of a lot better throughout the winter time frame yeah. than something that's just so been hacked. our our flush cut with herbicide without herbicide that's an all American cut. Your hinge cut might make all state. Might he definitely makes all district hack and squirt? He probably checks out at all conference. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I wasn't gonna give him all conference. So he went. He came into the. He might have. He, he might into got, the game and and sure he he had a block. Cool. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He hit that three with yeah, the, two the minutes left jumper. on the clock. Good yeah. job. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of how they rank. They all need to be used. Yeah. They all can be used. I would encourage you to use mainly the flush cutting and hinge cutting first. Um, and the hack and squirt can be more of a, I need to just knock this out and I need to move quickly. And yeah. all these species aren't highly selected for browse. So I'm just going to knock them out. Tulip yeah. poplar is a big one because it grows so stinking fast. <sighs> but yeah. yeah and, and I mean, all of that above in, in one little phrase, I'll read to you. Like when you're doing your bedding thicket cuts, keep this in mind in the beginning, <laughs> you're going to like this. In the beginning, God created heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. This is the beginning of the Bible, okay? Yeah. And God said, let there be light. <laughs> and there was light. And God saw that light was good. <laughs> it gets better and better. And God separated the light from darkness. Fellas, 
when you're cutting in these bedding thickets, we need light. We need we need separate it from the darkness. (laughs) The low value of (laughs) of of the remaining timber. Get sunlight in there. Don't be afraid to cut. Um, That's the whole purpose. That's diversity of cuts. Got to have that response to be able to make the difference. See the difference that you're wanting on the landscape. At the end of the day. There is a big stigma of of addressing the timber, cutting timber. Don't be afraid. Face your fears. Learn about it. Identify yep. trees. Learn what they are. Learn what role they have. Start what cutting. Value they if have. you haven't ran a saw much, start on the small things yes. first. Yes. Cut those. Learn how to do it. Begin to implement it. And if you don't, if the learning curve is too steep, we'll come help you. <laughs> that's right. I mean, yeah. we will. We well, that's 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 what we do. We um, we love to be able to do that. We love to be able to see these transformations, and we want to make you know sure what? you do it right the first time. I do. And not, bedding thickets yes. are great, but a bedding thicket in the wrong spot on the farm it's is headache. a headache from now till the second coming of Jesus yes. Christ. Like it's going to be that way for a long, long time, and you may have to. <clears throat> Sit there and gripe about it for a long, long time. Yeah. It, but it, if you get uh, it in the right place, it's, it's phenomenal. It is sweet. But it's awesome. And I know you've been getting them too to have people from Oklahoma, Ohio, West Virginia, um, South Carolina, all across the country on a weekend. Pennsylvania. Sending you messages and where it's like there is sunlight there. Yeah. Like these these fellas. Illinois. Are out I just there. got one two days yesterday, I think. Iowa, these fellas are getting out there and cutting some stuff down. They're yep. not afraid. They're ripping the Band-Aid off, and they're yep. getting after it. And that's what I like to see. Action, habitat, It's kind of a good news, bad news, guys. <clears throat> good news is those guys out there doing it, you got the leg up on your neighbors. Neighbors that are listening to neighbors to our clients, you better get to work. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I hope that this podcast was good. I hope, uh, honestly... I hope that it was just like clarity for what each one of these techniques does, what it, what it, uh, the pros and cons. And I think, and I hope that it was also refreshing to say, guys, you can do all of them. You don't have to pick one. Yeah. You can do a variety like we choose to do of all these different techniques, but just utilize it in the right way. Yeah. Don't get That's stuck on few, one yeah. tool. That is that is fuel for you to, to an encouragement to say, get off the couch, don't be don't be scared to implement it, just begin to implement it. It's like and a learn basketball your, learn player yourself. who goes and all he does in practice is shoot free throws. Yeah, and he never practices shooting with a defender. Yeah. Well, if we all we do is practice hinge cuts, it's like, well, that's that's great for that one little bit, but. We need to be able to play the whole spectrum. We need to play, be able to play the whole court. We need to have a diversity to our skill set. Cutting cutting timber and managing timber on twenty acres is a season. Like yeah. it, it's it's not a game. It's not a shot in a game. It is like it's bigger scale. You got to yeah. know how to react in that environment. Yeah. And to be able to do that, you have to be able to be skilled and be, and learn know, learn how to hinge cut, learn how to flush cut, learn how to fell trees, learn what they need to be uh, if they need to be treated, if they need to be hacked, whatever. You have to have that knowledge. But you're not going to get it by sitting back and wondering which one I should use and which one I shouldn't. 
Yep. Some of it's just learning by doing. And here's the other good thing. Guess what? If you get sunlight into the forest floor, winning. <laughs> yeah. I don't, like, you could it, go it, and hinge cut, and you're going to get sunlight to the – like, you'll get sunlight. You may not get the long-term benefit, yeah. but at least you got sunlight. So you made the change. You made some improvement. The worst thing you can do in a closed canopy woodlot is let it remain a closed canopy yeah, woodlot. Absolutely. I totally agree. Yeah. Do something. If you went and hack and squirted all the weed trees, I'd be like, oh, I wish you'd have talked to us first. But at the same time, at least you got rid of the weed trees. You improved it. Yeah. You just made a headache for yourself, you but you improved it. it now. Yeah. Yeah. So anyhow, lots of different scenarios, guys. If you have questions, please go to uh, landlegacy.tv, go to the consultation tab, email in. We love getting questions or go to social media, um, Instagram and Facebook. Let us know what your thoughts are. Let us know if you implemented some of these techniques, too, and what you find is the best working. Send us pictures I of the ones you put in, yeah. too, before and afters. We'll share them on our page. Absolutely. We'll see you guys next week. Yeah.